2: If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With our FlexPath learning format, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and move as fast or slow as you'd like. Explore a different way forward at capella.edu. The Starbucks Pistachio Latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping, makes today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app.
1: Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today.
2: Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you.
3: Sip on the go with a Starbucks iced shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day.
1: Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time.
2: Learn more at capella.edu.
3: Do you want more crowd podcasts?
2: Let me tell you about the
1: Crowd Stories Channel.
3: It's where you can find all of Crowd's history and documentary style podcasts in one place. And for just one pound a week, they're at free.
1: Addictive documentaries like American Vigilante.
3: I'm a monster hunter. That's what I do. And murder in house two. I know you know
4: what happened. You want to keep it to yourself, you suit yourself. You're going down.
3: Unbelievable investigations into government cover-ups. Your daily reality is the fact that at any moment when the guard comes along, he might just pull out his gun and shoot you in the back of the head. And immerse yourself in the stories of death of a rock star.
1: Just search for Crowd Stories on Apple Podcasts.
3: And hit the subscribe button. See you there. Well, hello there, fellow fans of The Fire. It's Tom here. Now, what you're about to hear today is not an episode of We Didn't Start The Fire, but for a change, instead, another podcast we think you will really love. It is called Where's My Jetpack? And these people are on a mission to explore all the things that film and television promised us we would have by now, but we don't. So, things like flying cars, hoverboards, holidays to the moon, you get the idea. It is hosted by Sarah Crudis and Luke Moore. And you're about to hear an episode where they ask quite rightly, where is my moon base? if you'd like to hear more, search for Where's My Jetpack in your favourite podcast app, or simply
5: hit the link in the episode description. Enjoy, you know, we uh, as a nation have it been able to really afford to do one big human spaceflight program at a time, and so we moved from lunar exploration to the space shuttle, uh, and then to the space station. In spite of my father and the Apollo generation's frustration, I'm pretty optimistic, and I actually think that that people that are coming into the space industry today are facing the most exciting environment really since Apollo, and maybe more exciting.
0: Welcome back to Where's My Jetpack? Back in the 1960s we were promised everything from jetpacks to flying cars and holidays in space. But here we are in the 21st century with not a jetpack in sight. So what happened to our space age dreams? I'm Sarah Crudus. And I'm Luke Moore. And each episode we will be taking you on a mission to find out by exploring a different futuristic promise that never was to discover if it was all just science fiction or if these great inventions are just around the corner or lurking in unexpected places. This is episode two, Where's My Moon Base? It does feel like going to the moon is something which is almost history now. 50 More than 50 years ago, listen, we were walking on the moon.
4: Listen, Sarah, there's a lot of different technology being talked about on this series, but this is big potatoes. This is big potatoes. Big
0: potatoes. We're talking about... Potatoes.
4: Yeah, we're talking about a, a, a permanent structure or series of structures or colony or community, whatever you want to say, on a different world. I know the moon is, is clearly a, you know, a, a moon of our no, Earth. No, it's, it's fair
0: to call it a world. A it is another world,
4: world. A different world. And so this is up there with one of the more ambitious things we're going to talk about in this series. And it's absolutely fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating because there's so many challenges. There's so many benefits, which I'm sure we'll come on to. And it's just really exciting. Bloody exciting.
0: Well, it's one of those things you you almost expected by now when we were going to the Moon you assumed that NEXT would have a permanent human presence there and then eventually the likes of you and I Luke would actually get to visit the Moon and of course yeah. with so much with space exploration we've jumped into cyberspace in the world of the internet instead yeah. of outer space and we haven't been back to the moon. We just exist in Earth orbit. You know, humans haven't gone beyond Earth orbit since the early 1970s, which blows my mind. And it's hugely frustrating. We'll come onto this hugely frustrating for so many of those in the 1960s and 70s who worked on the Apollo missions to the moon. Imagine dedicating your life to something and then it never happened. You know, we didn't go back. So it is frustrating for so many people. But it's also really exciting because we're entering a new era in space exploration where something like a moon base is to become a reality, if we're to succeed in becoming a multi-planetary species, something which sounds like science fiction, then the first thing we need to do is return to the moon and get some sort of permanent human presence there.
4: Absolutely. So why don't we start off by going back to where it all
3: started? All right, this is a need way to travel? Isn't it great?
0: July 20th, 1969, astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin become the first humans to land on the surface of the moon.
5: Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot.
0: Driven by politics and inspired by science fiction.
3: Holy smoke, you can't land and that would be splattered. Quit worrying. We're landing in a smooth plane of there. I'm going to kill her forward speed. Stand by. You missed, Jim. I
0: know it. Emergency. The moon wasn't just a destination. It was now a home.
3: I was strolling on the moon one day In a merry, merry month of, of December, how? Oh, May, May When, uh, much to
0: my surprise, a pair of the eyes over six separate missions, astronauts would eat, sleep, drink, and even play golf.
1: It looked like a place to be here. Here we go.
3: Miles
0: and miles and miles. The tiny lunar modules which housed the crews were our first moon bases. And back on Earth, imaginations turned to predictions of a permanent base on the surface.
3: Lunar rovers float magically over powdered planes, range the crater's edge their elastic, train-like bodies conforming to every surface character of the moon. Here are bases of communication and supply, islands of existence built to withstand the melting heat of the lunar day, the shattering cold of the lunar night.
0: The airline Pan Am even began issuing tickets for its first Moon Flights Club, and for many it felt certain that a permanent base on the moon was to be our future.
5: You, You want the
3: moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, right? right?
1: I'll take it.
0: See, I feel like we can kind of already answer the question, where are my moon bases? Because we've already had moon bases. The, as you heard just said, the, the first astronauts to go to the moon, the 12 human beings, out of all the billions, hundreds of billions of humans that have ever existed in the history mm. of our species... They lived on the moon. They weren't just there for a few hours. The the lunar modules were our first moon bases where humans lived, worked, slept. If only for, you know, the longest moon mission, Apollo 17, they're only there a matter of days. Um... But we've still had moon bases, but we just haven't been back.
4: And they're temporary ones, right? They're, well, the, they're
0: still there. The actual so if you look at the Apollo lunar module, oh when it's this weird spidery like, shape. So it's like thing. a little ghost
4: ship up there now, still. Yeah,
0: well the the ship has gone, so they yeah. use the bottom half basically became a launch pad. So in order to leave the moon, yeah. they use the the bottom half, the landing legs, as its launch pad to take off. So the the remainders of the Apollo lunar landing modules are actually still on the surface of the moon, the lunar modules, and they're almost like... I always like to imagine that when we return to the moon one day and it will happen, they'll be like our first off-planet World Heritage Sites because those are the first places where humans have been so you've well, got non-world heritage site. yeah non-world. <laughs> Yeah, there you go thanks for that excellent correction But there, and there's actually initiatives uh, looking at this at the moment so that when we do return we protect those landing sites and you can just imagine mm. a school trip maybe in 100 years 50 mm. years from now and children going to the moon like I went to like West Yorkshire on my school kids but <laughs> these kids in the future—they're going to get to go to the moon. Similar like Baron, what, yeah, Baron yeah, similar. <laughs> You're saying this to a Yorkshire lad, well. yeah. but like um, you can imagine people going to the moon and looking at those sites one day where humans first set on the foot hmm. on the moon, and then looking back at Earth and seeing Earth almost the size as we see the moon mm. in the night sky and being able to cover the Earth with their own thumb, just like the first moonwalkers did. So we we have had those bases, the, the remnants of our first bases. And yes, it was only for a matter of days, a matter of hours. They're there. When you look up mm. at the moon, evidence of humanity exploring another world is there on the moon. So I think,
4: yeah, as we move through today's episode, I think we'll talk about a bit what the benefits are of having a permanent presence on the moon and a per- permanent colony or whatever you want to call it. But looking back to the past, Sarah, what why did... You know, mankind want to go to the to the moon in the first place.
0: I think the real simplest way to answer this is: humans were built to go over the hill. Yeah. Humans were built to explore. If we look at it from a logical point of view, when we explored Earth, sailing the oceans back in the you know the age of exploration, the age of discovery, is the equivalent of going to the moon in in the mid nineteen mid twentieth century. So what we're doing is nothing new. The only thing different is the playing field. And I think as science and technology evolved. Certainly, at the, the turn of the late eighteen hundreds into the early nineteen hundreds, we saw people starting to imagine what mm. it would like to, be, what it would be like to go to the moon. So, mm. science fiction is always it, it mashes up the knowledge of the time and makes predictions sometimes about the future. And the mm. moon has been our neighbour for all of eternity. The thing you have in common with every mm. single human, pretty much, that ever existed, is that you've looked up at the moon. If you mm. go back. Hundreds of years, mm. humans were looking up at the moon and wondering. So it was that na- next natural step to explore what is beyond our, our earthly home, and then the moon is only a few days away.
4: And I think, um, as we've learned on this show so far, and we'll continue to learn, as you are a big fan of science, Sarah. Science fiction is science prediction. Yes, and this dun, is a, dun, dun.
0: <laughs> this is a great example
4: of that, right? But but what? So we heard in our in our little package there that a, a huge amount of progress, obviously, on this what was in the 60s and the 70s, but it had its genesis in real terms, in kind of modern terms, if you like, in the 1950s, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, people started as the Werner von Braun, who was the mastermind, the, the German rocket scientist, the mastermind between behind the, the Apollo missions to the moon for the US. He was doing shows with Walt Disney talking about sending humans to the moon in the 1950s, but it was the 1960s start started the space race, this conflict you know between the ussr and the united states which really changed the political landscape and enabled human beings to eventually get to the moon
4: and of course you know we haven't been back to the moon since 1972
0: i'm glad that you know that as right, well so most people don't know most people can name the kardashians but not the moonwalkers
4: and gene Cernan was the final person to walk on the moon That's in, correct in the early and 70s he still
0: is to this day the final human being to walk yeah. on the moon even though he's now passed away so
4: why have we lost why do we lose that momentum? Now I, I appreciate that actually what was achieved in nineteen sixty-nine through to nineteen seventy two was obviously astonishing and it even bears, you know, even you know, bears comparison now to some of the greatest achievements of all time, of course. And it's it's amazing to see how much humanity has progressed since then, yet that still look, seems like an outlier of how of what is able to be achieved in scientific terms. We haven't been back since 1972. I, I presume some of the answer for this is that like, people don't remember either that it's actually quite a long way away. We're talking about astronauts going to space. They're going to near-Earth orbit. They're not going 250,000 miles away to the moon, right? It's a long, long way to go. So that's part of the reason. But what are the other main reasons why we haven't been back?
0: Well, I'd actually disagree with that because the moon is far away, but we've had the technology for a long time. Yeah, we had true. the technology back in the 60s and the moon's only three days away. Right. Yes, it's a quarter of a million miles away, but it only takes us three days to get there. But the moon as much as it frustrates me as a big space lover and someone who works in the space industry, the moon was more about politics than it was about science and exploration. And of course you had the American flag there, but it was basically the Russians and the Americans trying to do a big thing well, trying Mm. to say our way of life, communism and capitalism, our way of life is the best and impress other countries. And when America realised it wasn't going to be first in space and it wasn't going to be first in orbit, it had to find another target. And Mm. the moon was something which was more of an even playing field because they understood that the Russians didn't actually have the technology to get there either, so they had a chance of catching up. If America was going to compete with the Russians in low Earth orbit, they weren't going to win because the Russians were ahead of the Americans. They were first to orbit, first to send a woman into space, first to spacewalk, so the moon was something new. And the Americans, you know, the Russians never officially said they were competing with the Americans. But years later, we found out that the Russians had actually developed a lunar lander for the moon as well. And there had been plans to get to the moon. So the moon was about planting a flag and saying our technology is better, our way of life is better. But at the same time, it galvanized a generation, it inspired a generation to explore But it was never really about going there to stay. It was essentially about flags and footprints, planting a flag, Mm. taking a picture, doing Mm. a few science experiments, though science wasn't the main purpose of those initial Apollo missions, and then returning back to Earth. And of course, someone who knows a huge amount about why we haven't been back to the moon since 1972 and the frustrations that those moonwalkers, the, the people of the Apollo era, feel is Dr. Andy Aldrin, who is, of course, the son of legendary Apollo 11 moonwalker Buzz Aldrin.
5: After 1972, space really had to compete with a lot of other priorities um, in order to maintain funding. So if you look at it historically, maybe it's not that surprising. Um, and, you know, we uh, as a nation have been able to really afford to do one big human spaceflight program at a time. And so we moved from lunar expo- exploration to the space shuttle uh, and then to the space station. And now we are moving back to the moon. So that's exciting. But it really, now I know a lot of people have been frustrated at our lack of progress and exploration on the moon. But, you know, as a political scientist, I look at it and, and it's not that surprising. I mean, what's, what was truly exceptional was that we were able to get to the moon uh, in such a short period of time. It really was kind of, I call it the um, the first great space startup, was the was the Apollo program. It was 400,000 people acting like SpaceX.
0: And it's interesting that he makes that comparison with SpaceX because, of course, the way we explore space is changing and it's about um, commercial companies doing things and taking risks that private industry can't. But what I find interesting, and I, I've worked with both Andy and his father, Buzz Aldrin, is that and Buzz says this, Buzz Aldrin, who, of course, will know more than anyone because he was there, mm. he was on the moon. Mm. He says that if we had carried on at the same momentum of Apollo, so what Andy talks about there of really achieving something which seems impossible, we would have been on the planet Mars by the 1980s. Mm. Wernher von Braun, that mastermind behind the, the Apollo missions to the moon, he put together a plan which, which went to Congress about how to get human beings to Mars. But of course, the political will was no longer there.
4: Yeah, and and it's it's fascinating to me to think of the way Andy or Dr. Aldrin says speaks there about how we should perhaps consider that nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies period as almost like an outlier. Like the, the the specific political landscape and the will existed for that period of time and it was never realistically gonna be maintained because as he says other priorities came to the fore, there were the world changed, lots of other things happened, and as of, as a result we lost an awful lot of momentum, which is is actually really sad. It's really sad because there are practical implications for how much we could have learned in that interim period and how much it would have affected and improved life on Earth as well.
0: Well, a lot of the things, you know, the generation which built the world we live in today was inspired by the Apollo missions to the moon. But um, and Andy talks about the frustration that his father and those other Apollo-era astronauts feel by the fact that we haven't returned to the moon.
5: I don't blame them because they grew up in an era of space when anything was possible, right? Within less than 10 years, we, we went from... From a program which, you know, when John Glenn got on his first flight, the um, the Atlas launch vehicle had a failure rate of 40 percent. And and to within, um, you know, literally six years to be actually on the surface of the moon was just incredible. And so for my dad, for the other astronauts, you know. Anything was possible. And so they were frustrated. They were frustrated that after the the program was kind of winding down, let's say in 1970, 71, that the administration seemed uninterested in pursuing their vision of of permanent inhabitation of the moon. And and I think they were very frustrated that of all the options that were put in front of uh, the Nixon administration, they picked something less than the least expensive option. And so that frustration hasn't gone away and i i understand when you when you're sort of raised in an environment where we had an exceptional program um, you expect to be able to do that again but it's it's really hard to create um, the kind of um, political commitment that it took uh, to get us to the moon and so um, i understand their frustration i just don't know what to do about it
0: and you've got to remember as well, space space is all risky today, but space was really dangerous back then. These people mm. lost friends, lost colleagues in the mm. pursuit of the moon. I mean, this was, for all intents and purposes, a war, albeit a cold one. Mm. And then at the same time, look at the picture of media and culture. You've got adverts saying women of the future will clean using this product on the moon. And you've got Vogue doing covers about what people will wear when they're mm. on the moon. So society's telling you we're going to the moon you're, you're doing something impossible, you're risking your life for it, and then it, it all feels like it's for nothing.
4: Mm. And I feel also, the polit- to, to look at the political side of it, you've ultimately got in the US who was leading on this side of it, particularly obviously for the for the Apollo side of the, of the fence, it, there's a new president every, technically every four years. Now, a, a president may win a second term, but he won't win a, a term beyond that. So ultimately, what you've got is an absolute maximum of eight years. and And that 's not a huge amount of time unless the entire country is unified behind this idea that they 're fighting a cold war against an enemy. If when that starts to cool or when priorities start to change, things you see this over and over again on, on the political side things just reset because different presidents or different leaders come in with different priorities and the whole thing doesn't really maintain its momentum either. So it becomes difficult for a number of different reasons.
0: Luke, you are wasted in podcasts. Oh, well, that's kind of you. This is something we talk about in the space industry. You know, if we can slightly segue to Mars very quickly, the reason humans haven't been to Mars really is because Mm. presidents sometimes say, we're going to go to Mars, but they only have two terms to achieve it. And that's why... The shift we're seeing SpaceX other commercial companies yeah. that's what's exciting and that's what might potentially help us see a moon base
4: so that's how far we've come so far then that's the story so far when it comes to establishing hopefully some kind of permanent presence on the moon and um, after the break we're going to look at the current state of play
5: T minus one minute and counting the Soyuz now on internal power, and we have auto sequence start.
3: A century ago, men were walking on the moon.
0: Humans haven't been back to the moon since 1972.
3: Yeah, it's one of the greatest things that's happened in modern mankind. Today, it's lost in history.
0: In fact, the furthest people have explored in space is Earth orbit.
5: Ramping up to flight speed and liftoff. Liftoff of Tim Kopra, Yuri Malenchenko and Timothy Peake on their way to the International Space Station.
0: Most modern missions travel to the International Space Station, roughly 250 miles up, or to put it another way, the same distance as London is from the city of Newcastle. Meanwhile, robots have been the only thing from Earth to call the moon their home.
1: Chinese state media reports a spacecraft has successfully landed on the dark side of the moon. A photo shows a small crater and a barren surface that appears to be illuminated by light from the probe. The rover will conduct a number of
0: experiments, including attempts to find water and other resources. But even though astronauts have not returned to the lunar surface, people have continued to imagine what a moon base might be like.
3: Today, we deliver enough clean-burning helium-3 to supply the energy needs of nearly 70% of the planet. Who'd have thought all the energy we ever needed right above our heads? The power of the moon. The power of our future.
0: And now there are plans to get humans back on the moon.
1: At NASA, we have always answered the innate call to go. With Artemis,
5: we Are going to stay
1: proving that humanity
5: can live on the moon mars and other worlds and share the wonders of the solar system with all
0: under its artemis program nasa has committed to land the next man and the first woman on the moon this decade and with it plans for a permanent lunar base camp
1: our efforts create impact for all
0: technologies that
5: revolutionize industries
1: and jobs that bring prosperity to people The discoveries from space
5: benefit the way we live on Earth today. And those from the moon will create a better future for generations to come. But to do that, we must go.
0: See, I find that hugely inspiring. It is, isn't it? It, To think that one day soon, one day within the next decade or so, we could go outside. All of you listening can go outside, look up at the moon. I know that there's humans up there looking back at you.
4: So the current state of play then is that we, so NASA and, 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 and several other kind of um, organisations have, have established a plan, Artemis, as you've talked about, um, to to establish a permanent base on the moon so what are the current so what are the major challenges in building a permanent base on the moon as we understand it today well
0: there's so many and, and even artemis it, it's more going to be a case of having something in orbit around the moon and then having landers which go down to the moon right, and then okay. eventually having a base on the moon so that, that's
4: the that's the that's the kind of stages is it, yeah it's kind
0: of like step by step because sometimes when we look at apollo we can kind of look at it through rose-tinted glasses if i'm going to be blunt about this because mm. Space missions then only lasted a couple of weeks. But yeah. now space missions can last sometimes up to a year. We've learned to live and work in space. And that's a huge challenge, something we couldn't do back in the 1960s. But if we are to go to the moon, a place which, for all intents and purposes, doesn't have an atmosphere, it's got extremes of temperature, you, you couldn't live there without a moon base. Mm. You, we need to learn how to survive in space. So after, after the moon landings, we learned how to live in orbit we learnt how to survive and, and potentially how to one day thrive in space. And now the next natural step is to return to the moon, not just be about planting a flag and taking some photos, but to actually have that permanent base mm. there. So we needed to do the the less sexy stuff, so to speak, and, and to do experiments, learn you know everything from how to grow food in space to how to do science experiments. The effect how the bo- on people's bodies. Yeah, exactly. The effect on people's bodies is huge. You know, we've mm. done... Twin studies uh, with one twin in space, one twin on Earth. You know, there's a huge amount of science we've had to learn. And now the next natural step is going to the moon because if we want to explore beyond our Earth, if we want to explore the other worlds within our solar system, we need that base on the moon because we can learn how to live in another world with its lower gravity, with the risks of radiation which come with it, but also close enough to Earth to get supplies and, and to be able to still rely on Earth.
4: So, what's the main difference then between? Because I presume it's the same in principle. What's the difference between having people living for quite a long time on a space station that orbits the Earth and doing exactly the same thing on a space station that orbits the Moon?
0: Well, it's further away, so of course, that's that's a, that's a technical challenge. I Hugely more expensive. But what we're actually seeing now is no different to what we've seen throughout history. So, governments tend to go in first, and then private industry follows. And I'm going to use this terrible. Explanation and, and it's not the best example now, but look at the history of Columbus. Columbus went first and then you had the Mayflower setting sail to America with entrepreneurs and ideas. Mm. Obviously, we don't have to agree with everything that happened, but the principle is still the same in space. Yeah. You've got government funded exploration, such yeah. as NASA and the Russians during the space race. Now we're seeing private industry and they can put up the, they can take the risk that, that governments can't. They're not having to justify the cost of things two people because it's not people paying for it. and So we're seeing the same shift happening and that's going to enable hopefully a public-private partnership, which will be the Artemis program to see human beings back on the moon. But we should also remember that the moon, you know, space exploration is no longer about two nations anymore. Hmm. If you were to get a map of the Earth and colour in the countries which have assets in space, you'd be colouring in most of the countries on the planet. And Hmm. there's very few which don't have assets in space now. But that also means other countries such as China they're able to get to the space. They've landed spacecraft on the moon, robotic spacecraft. So we could see potentially people from other nations. It might not, you know, hopefully it'll be the Americans get, that get there first, but it might be China, which sends humans to the moon next.
4: And are we, because I know that, um, you know, in, in the past, the great, you know, the great, you know, glorious era of, of of people walking on the moon was essentially a completely US government funded effort. And as we sit here today, are we saying this is a private investor first kind of model with the government supporting it, or is it the other way around?
0: It's more of a case that the term is public-private partnership. Yeah. So you need both. But what we're seeing, so when you watch SpaceX launching crew to the International Space Station, they're now taking over the job of NASA. So they're able to get people into space, do the the running run-of-the-mill jobs, whereas NASA can focus on the bigger picture mm. or on the longer term, such as going to the moon. But they then need those private partnerships to come in because. If we're going to go to the moon, we need to think of everything such as communication or even companies are developing delivery services, kind of like a DHL service to get packages to the moon. Again, it sounds like science fiction, but if you've one day got human beings living there, Hmm. they're going to want to receive parcels or goods or supplies from Earth. So it's people thinking of all the kinds of problems we have on Earth, Hmm. but how we do it on the moon. And the goal, of course, is to see the next man and the first woman with Artemis programme set foot on the surface of the moon, and to be able to look up and know there are humans on the moon.
4: Hmm. So all in all then, it sounds like a pretty exciting time to be talking about this type of thing.
0: It really is. I I think there was a bit of a lull in space exploration, but this era all of us are witnessing now. I mean, it's the most exciting thing since Apollo, as Dr. Andy Aldrin explains.
5: In spite of my father and the Apollo generation's frustration, I'm pretty optimistic. And I actually think that, that people that are coming into the space industry today are facing the most exciting environment really since Apollo and maybe more exciting because, you know, literally anybody can be building a satellite. We're talking about, there are are kids in high schools that are building satellites and flying satellites. There are kids in actually middle schools flying satellites. Um, Anyone can buy a ticket to fly into space. Granted, it's very, very expensive at this point, but I think that price point will come down and it'll be more accessible to people. And so I really see kind of a blossoming of participation in space. And I think it's a very, very exciting time uh, to be getting into the space industry right now. So there we go. You haven't got to take our word for it. You can
4: take the, uh, the opinion of the great Dr. Andy Aldrin as well. Now, so that, That's the current state of play as we sit here today. Let's now take a look at what the future may hold.
3: This round-the-moon flight is a necessary step before establishing a base on the Moon. It's a, a survey flight. If there is going to be a base on the Moon, and there will be, it's my business to see that it's in safe hands.
0: The Moon is our first stepping stone into the cosmos. A permanent lunar base will mean that we can learn how to live and work on another world, while only being a few days away from Earth. From understanding how to grow crops to extracting resources such as water, and adjusting to life on an inhospitable world.
3: Every cubic metre of soil requires 40 litres of water to be farmable. So I'm going to make a lot more water. good thing is, I know the recipe. You take hydrogen, you add oxygen, you burn.
0: But the Moon won't just be about science. In front of a packed house, SpaceX founder Elon Musk introduced his newest partner in space exploration, billionaire Yusaku Maezawa. There are plans by SpaceX to send Japanese billionaire Yusaku Maezawa and a crew into orbit around the moon. Although for now the idea of a lunar hotel is science fiction, the future of the moon will no longer be about flags and footprints, but instead an extension of life on Earth. And with that, moon bases.
2: I choose to go to the moon.
4: So it's all pretty exciting stuff. So, but in real terms, how far away? What's the consensus? How far away are we from having a permanent base on the moon itself?
0: It depends what you mean by permanent base, because we will see within this decade mm. human beings return to the moon, hopefully under the Artemis program in the US, and with that, you'll technically have a human base on the moon, because the goal of Artemis is to, as I mentioned, have a a station in orbit around the moon and then have a lander which goes down to the surface and then eventually a base on the moon. So you will have the Apollo era type temporary base. No, I'm
4: thinking three-bedroomed house. Three bedroom with house. Garden and car in the drive.
0: Okay, well it's not going to be above ground. I'll, oh, okay, I'll tell you that. Right. It, okay. It, so the plot thickens. It, the plot thickens because we've got a lot of considerations. When you leave Earth, you know, human beings were only really built to survive on Earth. So when we leave Earth, you know, the biggest hurdle for us exploring space is us mm. it's human psychology it's human biology we've got the technology to do it with the robotics we can mm. send robotic landers to the moon but that's where the real challenge comes but what i will say is that change is happening much faster than you realize within the space industry i mean look at the fact that we can land rockets um mm. you know launch rockets to space and then land them back on earth that sounded like you know science fiction mm. not so long ago and now it's happening so you've got very intelligent people such as Elon Musk really pushing forward pushing forward the space era or space industry in a way that we haven't seen since the 60s. But what I will say is that the lunar base won't look exactly as you hope it will. It won't be a three-bedroom house. You won't have a (laughs) swimming pool. Um, Although Hilton, back in the 1960s, designed a a lunar hotel and he was going to have it underground with a a bar underground and you wouldn't have to mix a cocktail. You'd have someone actually... uh, pouring pre-mixed cocktails so they didn't have to worry about yeah, When you're the making it up,
4: you can kind of do whatever you want. Though. Oh, no,
0: he was half... He was Apparently, he was um, 75% joking, 25% serious. Yeah. Um, and then he was going to have like a... It sounds like
4: my broadcasting career. Oh. Carry on.
0: <laughs> you and I both. Yeah. Um, and then he was going to have like a boiler room, so to speak, and all the technical yeah. stuff underneath and then the bedrooms. But um, there's a lot of hurdles um, when we live on the moon. And I think the best person to explain what a lunar base might look like is Dr. Andy Aldrin.
5: A lunar base, I I think, will be driven in large part by the challenge of of managing radiation. And so you're going to have to have some kind of protection, whether you're just going to pile regolith on top of facilities or whether you're going to, uh, people are talking about uh, lunar lava tubes. I think that remains to be seen. So underneath the the, the
4: surface of the moon is, is clearly something approaching a no-brainer because it gives you protection from radiation and it's a lot easier in the long term to sustain it, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. And then there's talks, the European Space Agency, for example, talks of a a lunar village Mm. and they don't actually mean a village on the moon. What they mean is a collaboration, so different countries, different nations, potentially Mm. working together and having different bases on the moon, but most likely underground because you need protection from radiation. You also need, um, one of the big things we learned during the Apollo missions was that lunar dust is a big problem. So the the spacesuits that the astronauts wore when they walked on the moon, they got very, very dusty, um, which is fine if you're only there for a few days, but there's a potential for the dust to cause damage to the spacesuits and Mm. and you certainly don't want that to happen in space. So Mm. again, being underground, it provides protection from the extremes of temperature. It provides protection, as Dr. Andy Aldrin said, from radiation. It's just the best place to be, but you'd hope that at least be windows so that you yeah. can look up at the stars but, or look up at the
4: earth. So you mentioned earlier a little bit about what purpose it would serve. You're talking about the idea that you know it's a it's a it's a, a way of us almost like trial running how we how as, as a species kind of perform certain tasks, presumably perform certain scientific experiments learn to live with the difference in gravity or that type of stuff. But are there any other, any other purposes it will serve? Because I've read before that it might kind of operate as some kind of giant petrol station as well. That's correct. Yeah. So
0: um, one of the most exciting things on the moon is the presence of frozen water, also right. known as ice. Yeah. And basically liquid rocket fuel. All the key ingredients are hydrogen and oxygen. And, mm. and what's water made of? Hydrogen and oxygen. So if we can you know, get into space, is really difficult because the more fuel you need when you launch, the more fuel you need to lift fuel up and then it becomes like a complex process. So if you can launch with the lowest possible amount of fuel, go to the moon, fill up on your your rocket fuel at the moon and then you can go further into the cosmos. So all these science fiction predictions you see in Moon or Ad Astra for example in the movies of having a lunar base underground and then having people filling up so they can explore further into the solar system, it's not a bad shout.
4: And is it also a case of then almost doing it stage by stage so you then find another rocky planet and you exercise those um, those principles, again, say on Mars, and that gives you another broader horizon to look at because Mars, presumably, is a, obviously is a rocky planet and you could potentially do the same thing again, although it's just further away and slightly different.
0: There's frozen water under the surface of Mars and one of the biggest hurdles we have in space exploration... Is actually going fast. So you hope by the time we've set up a base on the moon and a base on Mars, science and technology would have found an alternative way for us to travel much faster and, and much further in space. But yes, in situ resources, so using the resources available on the moon for fuel, but also for creating these moon bases. Because when we explore Earth, we don't take everything we need with us. We, you mm. know, we use the, the the land, the tools that's available to us. So you're actually manufacturing. On the moon, creating habitats from the, the regolith, the materials on the moon, to enable us to survive, that's key skills, and that's the only way we're going to be able to explore is living off the land.
4: And you know what that says to me? That says to me that people who go up there are going to need to do certain types of jobs. Yes. You can't just be up there for a holiday, everyone. You got to work, earn your keep and work as well. So we asked Dr. Aldrin what kind of jobs there would be on the moon in a permanent setting.
5: The astronauts that go to the moon in the future, at, at least if you kind of look at a steady state, permanent presence, the major differences um, are that a lot of the people on the moon are going to be doing work, are going to be no normal jobs. I, I, I travel to schools quite often and I, and I tell kids in schools that when they grow up, they're going to be able to apply for a job on the moon doing whatever. I mean, you could be a barista at a Starbucks on the moon. I really believe that's going to happen. So the type of jobs Are going to be incredibly different. To be sure, there will be scientists traveling to the moon to do science, the same way they do at the Amundsen-Scott facility. Um, But the majority of people on the moon, at at least as I see it, will be um, will be working to extract resources. I think there'll also be a lot of tourists on the moon because it's you know if you look out into the future. Um, there are a lot of things about being on the moon that are probably going to be a lot more fun than just going into orbit around the Earth. I mean, you probably want to do both if you're taking the trip, but I think there will be a number of tourists on the moon as well.
0: I mean, I look forward to the day that someone's going to their boring job on the moon. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy, but it it will happen. And you just think, Andy Aldrin, he grew up and his father walked on the moon. He went to school Mm. with other kids whose dads were also moonwalkers and astronauts. And it's just so crazy that in the future, many more of us could know someone who's been to space, who's walked to the moon, and it's no longer something special. It's something which so many people can do, just like getting on an aeroplane is open to so many people.
4: I think it's kind of a bummer having your dad being that legendary in that discipline. Because, like, I mean, respect to Andy Aldrin for, doing, for going there and doing that thing and pushing it forward, because it's a long shadow to live yeah. in. you know, So good on him. Um, I asked you earlier, though. When are we going to see this happen? And this is—I dodged to the question. Yeah, you did. And this is around the time of the show we talk about science fiction or science fact. Um, What are we talking about here? When is this going to happen? Uh, Would you be confident as putting maybe I don't know the end of this decade as a time frame on it?
0: Oh, that is—I certainly think this decade we will see human beings return to the moon. So in that sense, we will get um, a lunar. But the people
4: listening want to talk about the big stuff. How big a do you want?
0: a Lunar city? Do you want a? I think
4: something that we could all generally agree was some kind of permanent base on the surface or under the surface.
0: And I think within the next few decades we will see that it is it is something which is happening. Not now. quick enough. I can't. I can't. Get, I've got to give you a scientific answer because yeah. you can't just say it's going to happen because we don't know when it's going to happen. But it's the space age is happening now. This mm. space is. But this so is a when, not right an right if, now.
5: though. This is a when, not an if, is what you're saying.
0: I am, and I'm not the only one. Over to you, Andy Aldrin.
5: This is not science fiction anymore. This is this is going to be reality, and I'm I'm really pretty confident that it's going to happen. Um, I'm just a lot less certain of what the timeline is going to be.
0: So we're on the same book there. Don't do again. Don't yeah. do again. But you can't. But it's so many tangential things will come from this. Of and if you're looking at SpaceX potentially wanting to put a tourist in orbit around the moon, you know we've had all these these tourist missions recently with space. Mm. It's happening, and then that breeds more inspiration, and more people want to work in the space industry, and the space industry becomes less niche, and then you get yeah. more opportunity. So it's, but we need people from all kinds of industries, all kinds of jobs. You no longer have to be a scientist to want to go to the moon. We need those baristas, we need those farmers. Especially those farmers, because we need to eat. We need mm. people from all kinds of industries if we're going to succeed in having a moon base.
4: Yeah, I understand that this is not just going to the corner shop. This is a big project. It's going so... to the
0: lunar corner shop. Exactly, exactly <laughs> maybe, yeah.
4: So I'm not, I, I realize I'm asking for a lot, but I think in this type of really big You're episode subject, <laughs> I just want to know because I think it'll be interesting. It'll be fascinating. And it's something that we should all be able to get behind because of not just because. Of what it physically is, but what it actually represents for us as a, as a, as a, as, a, as a species as well, it's a fascinating, fascinating. It thing.
0: represents our first step in becoming a multi-planetary species, and I mean, that's
4: big. That's big potatoes. That's, said, yeah, that, is that is massive potatoes. potatoes. That is
0: lunar-sized potatoes. <laughs> imagine a cosmos, a, a universe, or a solar system, even full of many more humans and instead yeah. of um, how many 7 billion humans there's 70 billion humans mm. how many more Einsteins how many more Mozarts how many more opportunities to mm. do good because I really believe
4: I know what the people are thinking, They're thinking yeah. how many more Luke Moores well, and uh, can we deal with them <laughs>
0: that is true that is true <laughs> I will answer that one is enough but, but you know if we're too you've lost my train of thought <laughs> but you know in space we, we have to work together in order to succeed space is bigger than any one nation any one company any one individual. So a lunar base will have public private partnership. It won't just be one company going there or one country. It's not like what we saw with Apollo. It's no longer a space race. It's, I guess the best example is it's almost like a new Wild West. But in order to succeed we will need to work together and that gives me hope for humanity that often science fiction can be quite dystopian when it talks about a lunar base. Good point. My prediction is that we will need to work together. Look at the International Space Station. Countries, 16 countries, not all of them get to well on earth but working together in order to explore space and to live in space and the moon will be an even better example of that
4: I now feel able to answer the question where's my moon base and I feel like it's coming it's yeah, on its way it's on its way be patient through collaboration through amazing vision and a brilliant technology there will be a moon base in the near to medium future and for all the reasons you've just said That's an amazing thing.
0: And imagine all the benefits it will bring to Earth. Just like the Apollo era changed life on Earth, we will see technology benefits which help all of us here on Earth. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Now we're taking you back to the future on next week's episode as we ask, where's my hoverboard? Where's My Jetpack is a Stack production presented by me, Sarah Credis, and Luke Moore. The production team is Charlie Morgan, Luke Moore and Sarah Cruddus. Our sound designer and editor is Tom Wally. You can find Luke and I on Twitter at Sarah Cruddus and at Luke Aaron Moore. And a very special thanks to Dr. Andy Aldrin for joining us. We'll see you next week. Where's My Jetpack is a Stack production and part of the
2: Acast Creator Network. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu.
6: In a country run by billionaires and triads, one gangster decides to go it alone. To have a guy like that with bombs and AK-47s and putting billionaire sons in boxes is, is scary. And his actions provoke a geopolitical crisis that leaves Hong Kong in pieces. From Kindling Media and Vespucci, this is Bad Money. Season one, Big Spender. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. In a country run by billionaires and triads, one gangster decides to go it alone. To have a guy like that with bombs and AK-47s and putting billionaire sons in boxes is, is scary. And his actions provoke a geopolitical crisis that leaves Hong Kong in pieces. From Kindling Media and Vespucci, this is Bad Money. Season one, Big Spender. Listen now, wherever you get your Podcasts.
2: Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu. If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu.
6: In a country run by billionaires and triads, one gangster decides to go it alone. To have a guy like that with bombs and AK-47s and putting billionaire sons in boxes is, is scary. And his actions provoke a geopolitical crisis that leaves Hong Kong in pieces. From Kindling Media and Vespucci, this is Bad Money. Season one, Big Spender. Listen now, wherever you get your
2: podcasts. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With our FlexPath learning format, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and move as fast or slow as you'd like. Explore a different way forward at capella.edu. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu.
6: In a country run by billionaires and triads One gangster decides to go it alone To have a guy like that With bombs and AK-47s And putting billionaire sons in boxes is, is scary And his actions provoke a geopolitical crisis That leaves Hong Kong in pieces From Kindling Media and Vespucci This is Bad Money Season 1, Big Spender Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts In a country run by billionaires and triads, one gangster decides to go it alone. To have a guy like that with bombs and AK-47s and putting billionaire sons in boxes is, is scary. And his actions provoke a geopolitical crisis that leaves Hong Kong in pieces. From Kindling Media and Vespucci, this is Bad Money. Season one, Big Spender. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.